You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and Globe and Mail hockey writer James Myrtle. On my own, here we go. Okay, James, we are back finally. I don't know when the last podcast we did. We're like the band that never plays together. We just I looked it up. I, I, went, I went on our Twitter account and it said the last one was 113 days or something like that. Seriously? I was like, oh, man. Is that true? We, yeah, that's what it said. So that's like for almost four months. So Yeah, it feels that long. February. <laughs> well, it's like, I don't even remember what we would have. I guess the last time we would have done one was trade deadline when we talked about I think it was when Fanuf got traded. I think that's when we did one. And I don't even know if we did one. I don't know. It felt like everyone was ready for that season to be over by the time it was over. So, But doesn't that feel like so long ago that he was traded? Like, that feels like it happened like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's because we've all been watching playoff hockey for so long. You've probably been watching playoff basketball, but most of <laughs> us have been watching playoff hockey. I do a little both. I flip back and forth. It's not always easy. I don't understand. I only like one sport. That's all I do. That I'm lost now. When I sit, I sit in front of the TV at night now, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to watch. Well, so imagine trying to track, to some degree, like four sports. So no. I follow baseball really closely. I follow football to some degree. I follow basketball closely, and then obviously hockey. That's insane. That's insane. You miss some things. So anyway, <laughs> there's lots happening on the Maple Leaf front. Obviously, the biggest thing that just happened was the Frederick Anderson deal. We're recording this early in draft week. Um, your initial reaction to the Frederick Anderson deal was use a word to describe your reaction. I think I was a little bit surprised. The, the, the surprise wasn't that they acquired Anderson. The surprise to me was that he got a long-term deal right away and a, and yep. a lot of money. And I, I just wasn't expecting that. I kind of thought if they brought someone like Anderson, it would be kind of a Bernie situation where he gets a two-year deal, show us what you got, and then we'll re-up you later. But mm-hmm. especially, with, I mean, Anderson's only played 125 regular season games. It's not like this is a guy, it's not like they're bringing in Ben Bishop, who's played, you know, who has a bigger track record, who's been a Vezina nom- nominee, who's who's gone deep in the playoffs with his team, et cetera, et cetera. It's, they're getting a guy that uh, doesn't have a big track record, who, who's mm-hmm. kind of had a weird development path. I mean, I remember Frederick Anderson when he first came into the league. He was t- almost 260 pounds, I think, 255 pounds. He really stood out to me because he was the heaviest goaltender I'd ever seen, and he's dropped a lot of that weight. He's from Denmark, which is he's the only goalie I've seen from Denmark play at an elite level. There's a lot of things about Anderson that made him kind of unique, and I made it so I had my eye on him. He went through the draft twice and was picked twice. Carolina drafted him in the seventh round, then Anaheim, I think, took him in the second round because he had he went to Sweden for a season and had a huge year in the Swedish league, and that's when his, his profile went way, way up. Um, but in terms of what he's done in Anaheim, it's been kind of a mixed bag, and I thought that if the Leafs did bring in a guy like that, that they would want to be a little bit more cautious. I mean, this... That that contract isn't cautious at all. I mean, they, they've essentially said this guy's our number one, and he's our number one for a long time. So that that's what surprised me. Yeah, and I would agree. The, the contract extension was what stood out. But to me, it kind of reminded me, and it's not the same thing, but it kind of reminded me um, of when they signed Gardner to the five-year deal. It was almost like you are saying, we think this guy is going to be good, so we're going to pay him. If he is good, that's a great contract, right? Like, if he ends up being what they hope he can be, 
That's fine. Like if you can pay him five million a year and he's oh, it's good. It's really good. It's yeah, really he's good. one of the top ten start number ones in the league, and he can play sixty games a year for you. Then they and so that's and so that's yeah. the gamble that they're taking. But to your point, like he's never been like he's never established himself, and and he's only played three seasons, but he's not established himself as a legit number one. Like even this year, you know, him and John Gibson kind of battled it out. They both played. He's been uh, on good times. teams. He's been on good okay. Ducks teams with a lot of right. good defensemen. Uh, Bruce Boudreau is a good coach. I mean, obviously the Leafs are going to have a good coach, mm-hmm. but he's been protected to some extent. I don't know. It's, it's it's really interesting. I I wrote in my piece today that I think that the Leafs found something on Anderson that stood out to them that made him him the the, the runaway option, and that's why they felt comfortable committing to him. They had to have. I mean, the only two options are Lou Lamorello went rogue and just all of a sudden said, "I got to get a goalie," and just threw a whole bunch of money. Which I don't think that's—I don't think that's the way the Leafs. We can't rule that out. That's a possibility. It's, but but I don't think that that's the way the front office is functioning anymore. And you know, I think that Brendan Shanahan is there with his hand on the emergency brake, and if if he doesn't have a buy-in from some of the other pieces in the front office, then it doesn't happen. So I think that this Anderson's a guy they looked at for a long, long time. Uh, I talked to some people last night about him. They love his personality. They love his work ethic. I mean, he almost kind of sounds like a, a Danish James Reimer a little bit. I mean, he's apparently a super nice, nice guy and uh, he's going to fit in great in the dressing room. He's going to be a guy that, um, that, that Mike Dabcock likes a lot. So he has those things going for him, but I think that they saw something else and then that's why they went for this. Well, and let's think of it, some of the other options. Like, I mean, if, if think of the, some of the names that came up, you know, Mark Andre Fleury. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in Pittsburgh. Ben Bishop is UFA. Like, there's all these other circumstances with those guys that if you're going to take a chance and you're going to trade some assets, and and I think what they gave up is fine. But if you're going to trade some assets, you've got to you know get a guy who can you who you can grow with. Like Anderson's 26. Uh, if he is going to be good you're going to get him for some of his prime years, right? You know what I mean? Like, as, as you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, let's say you trade for him. No, yeah, I don't you know think that's I mean? like the right fit. No. He's got almost $6 million on the cap. I think uh, they had know. two. Well, they had three options in, in goal. One was stick with Bernier and just see what happens. But I don't think they wanted to do that. I mean, I think I they're really... I think that that was the worst option. It's not. It's it's really no. not. Because, I mean, they're not going to win next year, so it doesn't really matter. I think waiting out right. the year would have been fine. And if goalies... I mean, the thing with the expansion draft is, I've been talking to some teams over the last couple of weeks, there's going to be a whole bunch of goalies shaking loose. Like, you look at... You can only protect one goalie. So any team that has two good goalies, there's a lot of teams that have two good goalies where one of them is a really young guy that's barely played and the other one is an older goalie. I think of Columbus has that Corpus Allo coming up as a young guy. They, they're going to have to either protect Corpus Allo or Bobrovsky. So there's a goalie that could shake loose. Uh, Colorado's got Varlamov and they've got Calvin Pickard who, who has played really, really well in the NHL in the, the starts that he's gotten. You know, there's there's a bunch of, you got Matt Murray in Pittsburgh who Pittsburgh's probably going to protect. you got Vasilevsky in Tampa. I'm sure there are more more, you know, there's a lot of situations like that around the league where there's this young guy pushing for the crease the way Gibson was against Anderson, and either the established guy or the young guy is going to be available in the expansion draft, and the team might just say, we want to get something for this guy instead of losing him in the expansion draft. Here you go, Toronto, you can have him for a second-round pick or whatever. Right. I kind of thought that's they should go the route of getting uh, Calvin Pickard from, from Colorado, who's a little bit younger. I think he's 23 or 24. Uh, you know, see what he is. You know, give him two years and see what he is, and, and then you commit to him with a big contract. But, 
So that was another option that they could have gone. And then the third option that they could have gone was just doing getting a stopgap guy, trade for a Brian Elliott, bring him in for two years or whatever, and try and find a young guy that you can you can uh, kind of bring in as the one B behind Brian Elliott and, and work it that way. I mean, that would have made a lot of sense too. Well, and I think and, and, James Reimer kind of fits in that equation as well. Well, and the tough thing to, to go back to what you touched on off the top is it's a, it's a gamble. Like you and I have discussed it so much uh, on this podcast, just walking the streets after, you know, a leaf game goalies, like it, who knows? Like it, some of it is, it's just so hard to project and they're up and down. And so when you give a guy a five-year contract and his track record is as thin as it is, that like a, that's a gamble. Like we haven't actually seen them. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, gambles that they have made. <laughs> Any come to mind for you? Like I guess Gardner is the is the one where you're giving him a five year contract. Uh, he made, had a pretty made, he had a track record though. I mean that right. he had what did he have three or four seasons as a defenseman and and the yeah. thing too is like with a defenseman like that they only gave him a salary that that he's going to be in your top four. He, they didn't give him. It would be kind of like paying Gardner six and a half million or something and betting that he's going to be a top pair guy or, or giving yeah. Riley way more money than they did or like it's it's a big commitment because basically you've said this guy isn't a backup goalie. He's for sure a number one. So, I mean, he better be. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if he's not, I don't know what that means or what you do. If he's not, then he's Mike Smith or he's, you know, Jimmy Howard or, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys like that that are, that are being paid number one money that are number one goalies. And it's just, just, what do you do with it? The cap the way it is, James, like you can't, we've seen this, like we see, we've seen it in Toronto quite a bit. Like you can't miss on a lot of, players in terms of what you pay them yeah well, we're gonna have to talk about their cap situation because a, a lot of a lot of those misses are, are gonna gonna hurt them this year in terms of their flexibility okay so you i i don't have my computer right up in front of me go through some of the ones that could that are causing problems or could cause okay. problems so because I find, they obviously acquired some players last year in some of those deals yeah right they they kind of took on short-term pain for long-term gain and then like the FNUF deal and the brooks like deal and and some of those trades that they made i signed the rfas that are out there they don't have a lot of them but guys like marinchin and carrick and corrado i gave them contracts that i think they're going to get nothing nothing too prohibitive but with everybody signed and with a 23-man roster uh, put Nathan Horton on long-term injured reserve. They've got $6.3 million in cap space, which is, is pretty decent. And that's with a full roster. So, you know, obviously they can, they could trade some of these guys out or whatever, but, you know, looking at the lineup that I've got, I've got Tyler Bozak making 4.2 million as the fourth line center. Brooks likes making four and a half as the fourth line left winger. Joffrey Lupul's making 5.25 as the fourth line right winger. Milan Mahalik and Colin Greening are my two extra forwards, and they're making a combined $6.6 million. The backup goalie, Jonathan Bernie, is making 4.15. Stefan Robida is making $3 million to coach his kids in Quebec peewee yeah. hockey, which is you know basically what what he's doing. You know, there's. I think that I think I got all the bad contracts. That's that's all the bad contracts, unless you want to get even into more minutia where they've got. Uh, uh, a Tim Gleason buyout in there, and they've got retained salary on Phil Kessel as well. You add up all the crappy money that they've got, though, and it's it's like thirty percent of of their 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 salary that they've committed. So there's a lot there, and I've been I've been talking to some teams and just trying to see if there's a market for a Bernier or a Bozak or that. And I think it's going to be tough for them to move guys like that. I think who do you say first? Whatever uh, Bozak, I I could see. Like the teams are always looking for 
especially around the deadline, teams are looking for guys like him who can play center, you know, be a third or a fourth guy. How do you see him as their fourth line center? Does that assume that you're, you're I just think Kadri, Matthew, Nylander. Yeah, yeah I, 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 and I know he's not a center this year. That would be my. Who's guess. their fourth line center then? Who's going to play that role? Either they sign a guy in free agency, or they bring back, you know, Mike Babcock's favorite player, Byron Trace. Yeah, unless, I guess unless that's they're possible. aiming to be more competitive than that, and they pick someone else up who's better. But they right. got too many forwards. So I mean, they got to get rid of some of these guys. I mean, someone's got to get moved. And it sounds like Brooks likes in the plans. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Yeah, I mean that's that's the benefit if you have Bozak is that Nylander isn't forced into a top three center role. Maybe you can shelter Matthews a little bit if it's if it takes him a month or two to get acclimated to to the NHL. You know, it gives you some more options at center. And like you said, maybe it's easier to trade a Bozak at uh, at the trade deadline. But I don't know. So, but but if that's the case, if they're holding on to him for that long, then that means that their cap situation it's it's okay. Well, you know, their cap their cap situation gets a lot better in next the year after and the year after that for sure. And that's exactly the point. It's not a long lasting cap burn, you know, because Bernier's done after this year. I think Bozak's got one more after this two. year. If I'm not He's mistaken. got two more. He okay, and Lupo both have two more years. Lupo, yeah, right, and that's a big one. Um, but Brooks Lake and Mihalik and Greening and Robida are all well, have one year one year left. So I don't think don't they're going to resign Robida. So. I, that's a, that seems like a good bet, doesn't it? <laughs> you're, you're quite the uh, the omnipotent one, but I, but I would yeah. think the other one that um, you know the other hit on their cap is you know from the Kessel deal, and it's it's still remarkable, like even to think now that they're not paying anything to Finuff. Like obviously yeah. they had to take back you know some some bad contracts, but that is one of the like we discussed it at length before, and I don't think either one of us. You know, expected that to happen, but now you can see how beneficial it is not to be paying anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a call and call waiting here. Can you hear that? Am I? No. <laughs> no, you can't hear that. Okay, that's good. Let's end and reject or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not that. I'm not on my cell phone, so I don't think I have that button. But yeah, I mean, they're. So I guess the the thing is, this year their cap situation. The, the thing is, is that bringing in Stamkos is tough. I mean, they would they would have to find someone to take Bozak without taking anything back, any, and then you could fit Stamkos in. And I mean, I know that's going to be a debate that we're going to get to, but the other thing, too, is that they probably could use a top-four defenseman. I mean, I don't know if they want to go with Marincin and Zaitsev in their top four next year. I mean, that's I think ideally one of those guys is, is on your third pair. Yeah. Well, and the, and the other thing is, this is something I wanted to discuss with you, is I wonder how good they think they're going to be this year. Because I have this like sneaking suspicion that they probably think they're going to be pretty good, and I just wonder yeah. what that means. Like, do you, that's do you, how I. Do you that's what that? I think too. I think that the Anderson is part of. I think they expect to take some big steps forward, and I think that. I mean, they looked at where they were. I think it was a January fifth or January sixth or something like that. They were five points out of a playoff spot, and they went on a really good run there in November, December. And then the kids came up after the trade deadline and played played really well, almost to the point that they had to put Garrett Sparks in there as kind of a countermeasure to that to make sure that they did mm-hmm. get Matthews. But I think, 
you know, working on that Austin Matthews story and talking to all the people that, that know him, I think he's going to be better than people are expecting. I think he's going to be a real difference maker, probably, maybe not immediately, but probably within this first season and certainly in the second season. And I think Leafs are going to be better. I mean, what did they have, 68, 69 points last season? I think that they're yeah. going to take a 10, 12-point jump and then what you hope is that the following season you do that again, and then all of a sudden you're in the playoff mix. The one thing you, you I think you're discounting a little bit is good by rookie standards, good by young player standards is different than actually being like really good. Like a good rookie season is what, 55, 60 points? Like Jack Eichel had a really good rookie year. What did he have, 48, 50 points, something like that? Yeah. So, so I mean, that's that's the one thing thing that I would be careful with in trying to project this team is like they're they're going to be so young like the, Mitch yeah. Marner is, is not a big guy and, and it's going to take him time to to figure out the NHL same thing with Neander obviously you know last year in the time that he was in the NHL he looked pretty good but we'll see how it handles you know over an 82 game season same thing with Matthews like Zaitsev like a lot of these guys uh, I'm really curious to see how quickly that youth kind of adapts or whether it's kind of a hindrance and they're going to have to go through some growing pains. Obviously, having Mike Babcock help. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's interesting you say that about them thinking they're going to be good. I mean, maybe good's the wrong word, but I certainly don't think they're looking at finishing 30th again. I mean, it's probably – I think that they would like to be a lot more competitive. You know, and Anderson Anderson should help. I mean, and I think Bernie will be better than last year too. So, you know, maybe they have maybe they have two competent goaltenders if if they can't find someone to take Bernie. So, I don't know. I mean, they've still got they don't they're not they're not putting all of the burden on the very young players. They've still got Kadri. They still got Komarov. They still got JVR. They still got you know uh, Riley, who obviously yes is a young guy, but who has been in the league. They've got Gardner. They've got Anderson. They've got, you know, but it's an interesting mix. I think I think this is going to be a much better team for fans and you and I to watch yep. and analyze and talk about. I mean, there's a there's a lot of really intriguing pieces. The way that I've got it laid out, I've got their right wing right now is Connor Brown, Mitch Marner, Zach Hyman, and then you've got Sashnikov and you've got Matthews and Nylander all up front. Those are kind of like the young, exciting guys. And then on D, I've got. Uh, Marincin, Riley, Gardner, Zaitsev, Onwick, Connor Carrick, and Frank Corrado as an extra guy because he, he needs some more time in the press box, I think, this next season. <laughs> Again, that's all. So many of the guys you just named are so young and so yep. inexperienced. But the one yep. thing, like you mentioned, like in terms of watching the team, they'll be fast, they'll be skilled, they'll be fun to watch. Like we saw when they brought all those young guys up yep. after the deadline, suddenly they were intriguing to watch. So that, I that's think what that's they got to do. I mean, they, they, you watch Pittsburgh and it's like, okay, yeah, you know, the way Pittsburgh played, it's like, that's why you want Mitch Marner and Connor Brown and you want guys that, that can skate and, and play like that or William Nealander. I mean, that's that's the way the league's going. And that's what, you know, talking to Mark Crawford about Austin Matthews, he's like, the things that Matthews does really well fit with the modern hockey and the modern NHL is so well. I mean, he just, the way that he can handle the puck and the way that he can skate and the way that he can shoot, and it's it's going to fit in really, really well. I mean, I've, I think the Leafs have a lot of pieces that, that look like they're going to they're gonna work well, especially as these guys move more into their primes. Yeah, it really is amazing, the transformation in just a couple of years, like how they have suddenly got this stock pool of potential talent. Like, that's not to say that all these guys are going to be good. Some won't, but Given where they were uh, to where they are, it's it's remarkable. And 
Uh, I want to ask you, because we didn't do a podcast whenever it happened five months ago, uh, when they signed Riley and, and Kadri to those long-term deals, um, I thought it was a smart move. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. I mean, I like the money. I thought they got Kadri at a pretty reasonable number, 4.5. I think he's established that he's a number two center. That's mm-hmm. acceptable number two center money. They bought a lot of his UFA years. I, I kind of think of him as like Tampa's paying um, Valtteri Filpula $5 million a year. I mean, that's that's kind of the the category I would put Kadri in. I think Kadri's well, a modern Chicago, too, I think is making four, seven, five, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, those are the kind of the, the comparables. I think if, I think Kadri can be a second line center on a very good team and the, they're lucky. The Leafs are lucky. And then Matthews is probably going to be a number one in, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I don't want to put too much pressure on, on the kid, but a lot of people think he can be a number one within three or four years. So, you know, that's, that position is shaping up pretty well, by getting Kadri signed to that deal. And in a way, they're lucky that, that Kadri really badly wanted to stay with the Leafs. I mean, he wasn't pushing to leave. He wasn't pushing to go to UFA and hit a home run. You look at who's available at center ice in, in free agency. I mean, you know, he, he could have got more money if he did that, but that's not what he wanted. You know, he, he loves playing for the Leafs. He loves being a Leaf, and he's kind of weathered some off-ice issues and some issues with some coaches and some management teams and uh, come out the other side. And, and I, and the thing with Riley too, is, I mean, even if he turns out to be a two or, or even a three, he's not making too much money. I think 5 million is certainly a deal you can live with. And then you hope that he can be a number one defenseman. Well, and as you mentioned with Gardner, like that's the going rate for top four defensemen. That's what you pay them in that neighborhood. Right. And I think yeah, that, between I think four and five. Yeah. I think the interesting thing, I think he's really interesting because there are, you know, from people I talk to, the question is, like, how good can he be? Right. Uh, and there is skepticism as to whether he can be that lead guy, that number one, or whether he's a two or whether he's a three. I think that's going to be interesting to watch over the next few years. Obviously, they're not great right now, you know, and he's kind of the leader of that pack. Uh, but you just wonder what his trajectory is going to look like. Yeah, and if, he, if he's not your number one, where do you get that player from? Where does it, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, not the guy, someone, it's not like they have someone in the pipeline right now where it says that guy's probably going to be a number one. I mean, I know that they've been drafting some defensemen, and some of these guys look like they're going to play in the NHL, like like Dermott and um, what's the other, what's the young, the Nielsen and some of these guys. I mean, they look like decent players. Valiev, I mean, had a, had a, a nice addition. But none of those guys are, are no. number ones. That's not no. fair. And it's hard to get. I mean, you're looking at free. I've been writing about free agency this week. Uh, teams are going to pay a ridiculous amount of money for defensemen. Like Jason Demers is asking for five and a half, six million a year. Well, Keith Yandel's asking for over six million a year. And Brian Campbell's going to make it. James, yeah, I have to interrupt because this is this goes back to what the debate was at this time last year. Do you pick the forward or do you pick the potential number one defenseman in Noah Hannafin? And I was kind of on the side of you pick the defenseman. Like it's really, really, really hard to get those guys if you're not yeah. picking them. And and yet it's sometimes hard to project those guys. But like I don't know. And, and and you wrote a piece I remember at that time where the debate internally was between you know Marner and Hannafin. And you know I think he, the, the talk was that Mike Babcock was in, on the side of drafting the defenseman. So. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and who knows, you know, what Hannafin's going to be. We'll see how Marner fares. Um, but that, that's why it's hard. 
Carolina is another super interesting team because they're they're kind of going with Ron Francis is buying into the analytics and they but they don't have the budget that the Leafs do. They don't have all these bad contracts that the Leafs do. They're not going to spend to the cap. They're having obviously ownership issues there, but yep. I think there's a really smart management team there and they're building on D. I mean, you look at the young D that Carolina has and Falk and Pesci and um, it's all um, Americans too. Yeah, Slavin and I mean they've they've scouted to find these guys and they're going to Hannafin obviously is the other one you know they're going to they're going to be kind of like a they're going to have to try and be like an Oakland A's kind of like lean salaried team but the way they're doing it is with a lot of talented D so that's going to be pretty interesting to watch yeah I would say that that's something and what, by the way that just reminds me what did you think of the Ward deal it was uh, surprising yeah was surprising. I thought that was weird Maybe yeah. it's just stability, like you know the guy, you know what you're going to get for the most part. But I don't know. I think yeah. they think he's. I think they think he's going to be just just okay. And they've got Lack, and they're hoping Lack has a better year. And I mean, they're in a situation where they like they didn't want to. I don't think they wanted to commit to someone like like Anderson. I think they wanted. They know that they're not going to win the cup next year, so it's kind of like they're they're waiting things out. But well, and towards towards the stopgap, right? Like he's. Yeah, and I guess there's no difference if you sign James Reimer in free agency to be your stopgap either. Like, what's the difference? I, I, I mean, other yeah, than I maybe you're, better. you're probably a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this is not <laughs> Hurricanes talk. Uh, let's, look, let's look at free agency. Uh, that, that's tomorrow. That's, yes, that's, the Hurricanes podcast is tomorrow. I actually did a few stories on the Hurricanes. They're fun to, like you said, they're kind of fun and interesting with some of the players that they have. Anyway. Uh, like Ron Francis was like, I loved watching him play. Like it's, it's that's the kind of guy you, you get to interview someone like that, and you hear about like I was when I I talked to him before the season, and he talked about how impressed he was with Eric Tulski and how smart that's that's their analytics guy that they hired, and uh, how he he's changing the way he looks at the game a little bit. And I talked to Bill Peters, the coach with the Hurricanes, and I don't know, it's just. They're a team that's very open to new ideas, and it's refreshing to see. And they're open to talking to us about them a little bit, too, which is nice as well. Yeah, and that's honestly one of the, the better parts of the new job that I have is like getting to talk to other GMs and see how they think the game. Like I talked to John Chica last week. Mm-hmm. Interesting to kind of see his perspective. I got to talk to Ron Francis at one point. Uh, you, you, you kind of get a little bit more insight into how each of these teams run. Um, so that's yeah. fun. And but, the league's changing. Like it's just – it's. It's it's rapidly shifting. It seems like every year, every two years, what teams are trying to do and where they are trying to allocate money and like like we're talking about defense and what do you pay guys and stuff. I mean, Pittsburgh just won the cup with basically one defenseman who anyone before the season would have said is as a top four defenseman, but they won the cup. And right. obviously, Chris Chris Letang's a great defenseman, but you know they didn't spend a lot of money on their blue line, so it's it was well, really really interesting. And you know what? Like I, I, I got to talk to Ian Cole on the ice after they won the cup, and he was like, everybody before the year looked at us and said, this defense is not good enough. Yes, they got Phil Kessel. Yes, they had these stars, but the defense is no good. And like you watch Brian Dumoulin, he's he's fine. He's good. He's, he's pretty good. good, you know, and he's playing on a top pair with Latang. And so, yeah. I wonder if like scouting good defensemen is is going to be become a thing. And if you can get like Dumoulin didn't produce a lot of offense. Like I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to make. I don't think. No, I mean, we'll, we'll see. He's probably not going to make a ton of money, but he can play. If he can play in your top pair and not, may not make a ton of money, I mean, that's gold. But that's the that's the Anton Strawman prototype. Like, you, yeah, you, 
that we're looking deeper than beyond whether a guy produces. Like it, it used to be, and I think you know this better than anyone. The equation for defensemen was okay: are they are they defensive defensemen? And by that, basically, people would mean they're they're tough, they're gritty, they throw big hits, or are they offensive defensemen? Do they put up big points? And and now it's just like you're looking so much deeper than that, and you're not analyzing based on one of those two equations. Like Jake Gardner is another good example. Like. He's not a big-time producer of offense. He's not Marincin. what you consider Marincin, same thing. Like, I don't know. It's just like changes in the way players are perceived. And like you said, teams are looking at these guys differently nowadays. The Leafs could have – well, I mean, they could take a bunch of guys with good numbers that, that are weird. And like Marincin's a perfect example. I mean, he looks – some people say he just looks brutal on the ice, but he doesn't pass the eye test. But, you know, he, he kind of gets it done ugly here, whatever you want to call it. But what's going to get interesting, James, is as more teams get smart, and this is what happened yeah. in baseball, yeah. then it, it becomes up to the teams and their analytics department to find the next inefficiency because that's what happened in baseball. Like for a while, like Billy Bean, like it was on base percentage. And then once teams are like, hey, on base percentage, that's more important than average, then suddenly you had to find a different inefficiency. And I think that will happen in hockey eventually. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I think it is good. happening, and we just don't know about it. For sure, yeah. Um, but we have a few minutes, and maybe we'll talk more after it actually happens. Uh, free agency. If I was to, if you were to put a number on percentage that you think they sign Stamkos, it is what? 10%. That low, eh? I think it's pretty low, yeah. So is that based on you don't think they want him or you don't think he wants to come here? I think it's based on... It's based on if he's going to take less than the most money he can get, he probably goes to Tampa. If he wants to take the most money he can get, he's not. the Leafs aren't going to offer it to him. So they're kind of – the only way I think he comes to Toronto is if he really, really wants to play at home and he's willing to take a little bit less to do that. And I don't know what that number is. I don't know how aggressively the Leafs are going to go after him because obviously they're not, they're not telling us anything. But um, I think that they're going to be in the equation. I just don't think they're going to be all in. Yeah, I, and, and honestly, I think that makes sense. Like, you have to be smart, and you have to kind of be – like, I, I like I, I've generally liked, you know, Steve Eisenman's approach in this whole thing. Like, it's, you have to be cold-hearted, and you kind of have to yeah. make the hard decisions and not necessarily the popular decisions. And if they come out after, you know, free agency and say, you know what, there wasn't a deal that made sense for us, you'll get some, you know, bad press whether it's unfair or not. You know what I mean? But people can look at that roster and see you got to pay Hedman, whatever, $8 million next season. you got to pay Bishop if you want to bring him back. I mean, I, Bishop convinced me this year that he's the real deal. I mean, that's two seasons yeah. where he's been very, very good. Yeah. Um, the Kucherov needs a new deal this year. Palat's going to need a new deal. Tyler Johnson's eventually going to need a new deal. The Mestikov needs a new deal. I don't know. Like, like who am I missing? Duran needs a new contract. I mean, Kalorn. It, it, yeah, it's everybody. They have to everybody. resign everybody. And if you give Stamkos $11.5 million a year, which is not out of the realm of possibility for what other teams might offer, how can Tampa possibly – I mean, they're going to lose a whole bunch of those other guys. So Eisenman has to look at this and say, what makes us the best team next season? And, and probably for the next – like Eisenman probably wants to be good for as long as he possibly can. He probably wants to make sure that he's going to be good for three or four years. And if Stamkos, signing Stamkos to that much money doesn't accomplish that, then I don't think they'll do it. And I think that – I think the dynamic that's playing out is that 
Stamkos would like to stay in Tampa. He knows they're a contender. He's comfortable there. He likes his teammates. He, he's liked. He's been there so long, and he's a loyal guy. And there's a lot of things that he enjoys about it. But there's that but, you know, that Iserman doesn't want to want to go hit the home run on the contract, and it could be his only chance ever in his career. It is his only chance ever in his career yeah. to be a UFA in his prime. So do you want to go see what's out there? And it feels like, I mean, Saturday, the, the free agent interview period is, is, is only a few days away. So it seems like he's going to go and, and see what other teams are offering and what other teams are out there. Well, but so, James, like if, if you're the Leafs, don't you have to kind of look down the line and look into your crystal ball and see that that's potentially a scenario that you're going to be looking at if some of these players turn out? Like, do you know what For I mean? Sure. Like if, if a bunch I'm sure of they're guys, doing that. Yeah, like, and, and if, if suddenly, and that's where it gets complicated, if suddenly you decide you're okay with, you know, having a cap hit of $11 million for Steven Stamkos, and, and, and a bunch of these players that you have, these prospects, these young players get good, suddenly you get crunched, and then suddenly your team is not as good. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of reverberations from one decision. What do they do if, like, if Matthews in his entry level contract? Let's say he produces seventy points in one of those years under the entry level contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of what's his next contract going to look like? I mean, he, he, foreseeably he could he could command kind of like what Tarasenko did out of his entry level deal, which I think was yep. seven years, seven million. I mean, so you know, yeah, you've got three years where Matthews is cost controlled, but are the Leafs going to be a cup contender within three years? I don't know if that's guaranteed. And then, so that's the thing well, they, they've got to. And, and James, and then there's the second contract for Neilander, and then there's the second contract for Marner, and then, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's just so many dominoes that eventually fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you've got to be aware of that. I mean, I think that they should be in on Stamkos, because if he is willing to come to Toronto and he's willing to take a little bit less to do it, maybe it makes sense. I mean, maybe you get in and you say, what if we give you a four-year deal? What if, what if we give you a little bit higher cap hit on a shorter-term deal? I mean, why not? Why not get in the mix and, and see what happens and see where the, where the conversations go? I just don't think the Leafs can go... I don't think the Leafs can go seven years and eleven and a half million or whatever. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it would be hard for them to fit it in right now. I mean, they'd have to move out some pieces for that to happen. But I, four or five years down the line, when Stamkos is thirty-two years old, I think it'd be tough. Yeah, and that's that's the equation. So, like, if if you had a dropout point, what's your dropout number in terms of that cap hit? I mean, ideally, I'd like to get him signed for. Under nine million, but I don't know if that's possible. I don't know. I don't know what options they would go for. I, you know, I, I'm sure it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting if Stamkos' agent is saying is in his ear saying, you know, you can't do this here or whatever. Like, like if the Leafs could get him for three years at eleven million dollars a year, then maybe you say, yeah, why not? Why not bring but him what, in for? But why? There's not like why would the he? the point of that? Yeah, that's fair enough. That's I don't fair know. Enough. Like, I just don't know what the point. Of I that guess because you think that maybe you can be a contender by that third year. Yeah. Well, and that's that gets back to the timeline. Like, I don't know what their their internal timeline is. Like, we got a glimpse of that briefly last summer when Mark Hunter mentioned that they think they're three to five years uh, from contention. Yeah. And I don't even know what that means in terms of contention. Does that mean contending? Well, Probably one of the best seven or eight teams in the league, right? So I, I think that that's, that's a reasonable goal, right? So that would mean, yeah. including this past season, that would mean they're two to four years away now. I think that I think that that should be, it's 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 a high bar, but you know, 
there are teams that do that. I mean, Tampa was not a very good team when Eiserman took over, and you know they've they've been to a Stanley Cup final and they got good pretty fast. And he had some pillars in place when he got there, but they made a lot of really good moves and they drafted really well. I think if you do that, you can turn it around in three years. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have to leave it there. We have we have so much to talk about, but we don't have as much time. So we're we gonna we're gonna try, to try and again. do more of these. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I guess we'll do one after free agency and stuff cools down, maybe? Yeah, yep. Or if something big happens, maybe before. Or maybe they maybe they do something even bigger than they've already done. They've done a lot of big things. Yeah, well, I guess it's time. I mean, I, the other thing that the Anderson, I saw a couple people wrote this, but the Anderson deal really signaled that this is, the road up starts now. I mean, I don't, I can't foresee them finishing in the bottom three next year. See, I... I don't know if I agree with the idea that it's fast-forwarding their prospect. No, I'm just saying process. that they've, they, they're, they're turning up now. Yeah I, yeah, I guess so. How do you mean? I just mean they're going to be better. I don't, I don't think that... Right, I don't, a better goalie, better players are going to be better. They're probably not going to be taking on bad contracts for next season. They're probably not going to be... I mean, the time no. for them to punt seasons away, this will be the last one that where they've got all this... Really well. I mean, Bozak and Lupo and some of these guys have two years left on their deal. But you know what I mean. Like, there's there's going to be a lot less bad money for seventeen, eighteen. Man, the Lupo thing is going to be so interesting at camp. But I guess we'll have to talk about that another time. Yeah. So okay. Well, we will do this again soon, James. It's good talking to you. All right. Thanks for listening. If anyone still remembers we exist. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. Oh,